Hello. Hello. Wow, that's an unusual opening for yeah, a podcast. Yeah, I usually say your name. Um, Bennett. Daniel. Tell me one good thing uh, about your life currently. Hmm. One good thing about my life. Or interesting or noteworthy or just something <clears throat> you're doing. Or it could be kind of boring. I'm okay with that. Um, I just started playing a, a video game called Dragon's Dogma. Um, it's an old game. It originally came out on the Xbox 360. <clears throat> I just started it yesterday. Uh, <clears throat> and it's pretty fun. So I, I won't really go into any depth on it. I'm right at the beginning of the game. But um seems pretty cool. The character creator is really detailed. You can make a really detailed character, which is pretty nice. I appreciate detail. Yep. Speaking of detail, one good thing about my life, or interesting, or just something, is I, uh, you know, Game of Thrones is like breaking records for the highest like opening for the season ever, and yeah. um, and so I got a friend's HBO Go password, and I've watched the first two episodes of oh, the entire series, of the series, not the recent one. It's all up there, but I, obviously I've I've never I've never watched it before. Don't um, read the books; it's just a waste of time. So <clears throat> watch. If you must waste your time, watch the TV show. I feel like if I must waste my time, I feel like that's a controversial uh, attitude, right? Like a like a lot of people would say, "Oh, the books are wonderful." Obviously, it's this sort of culturally significant piece of literature. Uh, yeah, you disagree? I, I definitely disagree um, that it's a culturally significant piece of literature. Um, I agree with you that it's probably a controversial opinion. A lot of people are. Have bad taste, so. <laughs> oh man! Well, that sounds like a huge topic that we could unpack for a while. But I'm really <laughs> eager. I'm really eager to play a game with you. Would you like to play a game, Bennett? Um. Yes, I would like to play a game. You never say <laughs> no to that question. Yes, <laughs> it's a good life tip right there. Um. Okay, so I've tentatively named this game. The test results are in. Okay. Hmm. The test results are in. Yeah. Okay, so here's how the game's going to be played. I've looked up a few unusual or rare psychological disorders. I will describe the disorders to you. Uh-huh. Um, we'll just handle them one at a time. And in which case, you're going to play the role of the doctor who begins having to deliver this diagnosis. And and you have to say to, I'll just role play as the, the uh, well, not the victim, the, the patient. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> the victim. <laughs> so the test results are in, and magically next week you're going to have sudden onset, you know, fill in the blank with the rare psychological disorder. Mm-hmm. And in which case, um, you, I want you to downplay it because the patient will be freaking out. That's me, or at least uncomfortable. And you're going to try to make this rare and pretty intense psychological disorder sound like no big deal. So I have, I'm the doctor, and I, I have to accurately describe what you have. But try yes. to like sugarcoat it as much as possible and try to play it off as it's no no big deal. Am I understanding yes. that correctly? You are. Right. I, and obviously I'm not that. a doctor here and I'm gonna I have give a good you... bedside manner. I don't okay. <laughs> I have no concept of all the science behind it. So you can kinda make it up if I'm asking you questions because once I've revealed to you what Well that's what doctors do anyway. I'm pretty sure that's it's a it's a realistic game. It's role playing like real doctors do. And so There's a real um, science to I'm, making up justifications for disorders. 
there's a science behind it, absolutely. So um, I'll give you pretty much all the information I have, and we're not going to belabor the point or stay on it too much. I'll, I just won't be able to answer your questions. I'll just give yeah. you the idea. You'll get it, and then That's we'll, fine. we'll play the game. Even if it's not fine. completely accurate, it'll still be it will still be able to manage the right because. Game, so. I'm, I'm less interested in the science behind it. I mean, we can discuss the psychology and philosophy and all of that. But anyway. All, all right. right. So our first disorder is known as the Kluver-Busey syndrome. Kluver-Busey. Kluver-Busey syndrome. Kluver Think of Busey. it hyphenated. It's like two names. Kluver-Busey. Kluver That's my assumption anyway. Yeah. So this is – I think I know what this one is. <laughs> Give um, it a guess. I'm pretty sure this is that thing where you – Imagine that everyone else is Gary Busey, <laughs> How very and they're out, all of you. they're all out to get you, right? Yeah. They're all very Clover Busey. Very, very close, actually. Uh, right. Really? Imagine, okay. okay, imagine this: you're craving the taste of a book, or wanting to have sex with a car. That's reality for those affected by Kluver-Busey syndrome, a rare behavioral impairment characterized by inappropriate sexual behaviors and mouthing of objects. Other signs and symptoms include a diminished ability to visually recognize objects, loss of normal fear and anger responses, memory loss, distractibility, seizures, and dementia. Um, those with Kluver-Busey syndrome often have trouble recognizing objects, like we were saying, um, or people that should be familiar. Um, difficult to diagnose. It, it lasts pretty much forever and is associated with some head injuries to the temporal lobe. Um, but essentially, the pattern that seems to emerge is like finding inanimate objects uh, that you lust after, you want to have sex with them, um, and wanting to put your mouth on inanimate objects like books and cars seem to be a pattern. People like are, I don't want to say falling in love with cars, but really wanting to, you know, do it. With the yeah. Car. Do it. Clover Busey syndrome. Wow. Uh, hmm. Okay. So it doesn't, it's not books and cars just happen to rise to the top, but it could be any object. Absolutely. And, and and they have trouble with object recognition just in general. So like you know, like if there's like a, a basketball then they have some trouble figuring out what it is. Yes, maybe. exactly. So the syndrome is, is uh, the syndrome often people that suffer with the syndrome often have trouble recognizing objects or people that should be familiar. It's uh, associated with the result of like severe injuries to the brain right. and that so like head trauma leads to this sort of fuzzy thinking but then it's almost like your sex drive wires get crossed and now you're attracted to things you shouldn't be attracted to and yeah if i were to show you a basketball you might be like what is that you know um not just while like a word recall but about <laughs> while being attracted to it but not it's not just a word recall like you recognize it and you go oh what's the word for that it's not like that it's like confusion um and like you might not recognize people like it's just some of the recognition software in your brain is messed up hmm okay weird what a strange uh what a strange thing interesting isn't it oh yeah oh man like you're very your your biological drive how how is it a temporary thing or does it is it permanent or okay so yeah unfortunately they're not there's not a cure for it and sufferers are often affected for the rest of their lives um wow, and what they do God, is they sucks. treatment I mean, is I symptomatic guess, no. oh it definitely sucks um the treatment is symptomatic, i don't know so i like, mean that like 
you no longer have to be limited to just other humans uh, for <laughs> the you know the object of your the literal object of your attraction. No worries about Dire. objectification because you're act, because they're objects already. So well, that is, that is looking on the. Uh, you're already getting into the game, I suppose. Um, we should, I guess we, should, so. we yeah. should start. Um, the results are in. Uh, so we got your test results back, and it looks like you got a little bit of Kluver-Busey syndrome. Uh, Kluver-Busey so, syndrome. What's yep. that? Uh, well, uh, so it's a it's a little disorder where you know it'll just kind of. It's nothing too major. It'll just kind of affect the way you see and think about some of your stuff, some of your physical belongings. Um, so we're going to uh, send you on home. and um, Some of the, the way I see things? Like is it a visual impairment? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Not at all. Nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with your eyes. you, you got great vision. That's good. Yep. So... Uh, just, you know, it may be when you get home and, you know, you take a look at, uh, you know, your silverware or something. It might, you might have some kind of strange feelings. Um, but I just want you to ignore that stuff uh, and just try strange to... Feelings. So... <clears throat> like what? Like what do you mean strange feelings? I'm looking at my silverware. I understand that it's silverware and I'm like I can see fine and like, and I'm having strange feelings. I don't, I don't understand. Um, well, you might find that you have some euphoric feelings, some very positive and strange feelings when you see certain objects, uh, and I just want to let you know that this is not life-threatening, um, so, uh, you might even find yourself getting kind of aroused, getting your sexuality aroused. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> by wait wait I'm, are you saying I'm aroused by my, my the forks and the the silverware and like objects in my household? Uh yeah 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 not to put too fine a point on it but yes um so yeah that's about it we're just gonna uh send you, send you on home here <laughs> but look hey oh, you know this may so bad you know you've convinced me <laughs> no this uh. Look, don't don't look at it in such a negative light. I mean, these these are positive feelings of desire and, and love, even love. These are things that take years to develop with a human, and the other human has to like you too. But now you can form these sorts of feelings with with just objects lying around, and you could have a wonderful, fulfilling relationship potentially with you know uh, an air pump. Or your television remote, mm. or <laughs> well, this sounds more like a superpower than a disorder to me. <laughs> that's that's what we try to do here at this hospital is uh, diagnose people with superpowers. Oh man! It's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm convinced. I guess good. Just, All right, bye. It's, it's okay. It's okay. If you'll just if you'll just sign here on this clipboard. <laughs> oh man. I don't, I don't, I don't see how we can spin sexual, sexually, uh, sexual attraction to objects as just this sort of like no big deal thing. Um, uh, 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 yeah, I mean, I'm breaking uh, character. It's just an interesting. I mean, I guess, like, what are what are the 
Are, are there genuine positives to this? Is it not a big deal to be sexually attracted to to inanimate objects? Like we we are, are we culturally conditioned to believe that's gross, or is well, there some is there really something problematic? I mean, it depends on the actions you take, right? I mean, I think probably the object recognition is a bigger deal because that could actually, you know, if you mistake something dangerous for something not dangerous, that could, you know, actually cause you harm. Um, but, like, if if you just find certain, like, certain physical forms of objects, like maybe the lines, the curves on a car, just really sexy for some reason then like that's strange but i mean that's not really going to necessarily cause you harm well it's funny when i read this it didn't surprise me that that cars rise to the surface um and i think okay so like i jokingly or not even jokingly i'll call we, we call cars sexy or um, we'll call things that are, are – if something's packaged in a really uh, appealing way that's aesthetically pleasing and all of that, I'll, right. I'll say, oh, that you sexy bang. packaging. Yeah. Oh, I really want to bang that package. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I'll call something sexy or I'll even describe when I'm talking to colleagues about teaching and I'll say, you know, you got to really make the lesson sexy, you know. Um, insert whatever joke you want there. But my point is like to put what? pizzazz behind it, to flash, right. you know, to make it flashy. And, and and so cars are arguably one of the like sexier things or, or that we spend time putting pizzazz and flash and uh, it's a status symbol. And there are curves and, and we, uh, I guess, traditionally would call a car like a, a if you want to personify it, it's typically a female, these sports cars with all the curves and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, if if that sort of sinks into our brains and then you're diagnosed with, you know, if you're diagnosed with Kluver-Busey syndrome, I suppose that, like, you're pulling from things you understand in the world. And if you understand cars to be sexy, maybe you want to, you know, do it with a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that makes some sort that, of sense, right? No, no, that does make sense. I was just thinking about it. Like that—that that makes sense. That's plausible. I mean, I guess that's the thing about all of these disorders is just that they deal with neurological problems, and we know so little about the brain and how it works that all of it is just so mysterious. Well, and wires getting crossed from like, especially in the laws of attraction. Like, it's it's unlikely that you might be. Um, indifferent or repulsed by something and then all of a sudden feel extreme you know uh, attraction to but if the attraction just shifts like attraction from i like this object i enjoy this object to and then your wires of of attraction you Mm -hmm. know now you're attracted to it in in that sexual way like you just crossed over accidentally well i mean i guess too we i kind of brushed over the whole oral fixation part of it as well mouthing that that, wanting to put put your mouth on it and just (laughs) make out with objects like how strange would it be if like you know we were hanging out and i was like hey let's uh you know let's go grab some dinner or whatever and we go outside and, and you, you know, you go outside before me, and when I come out there, you're like licking your vehicle, just like. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that would be so bizarre. Would you? Would you? Okay, I guess any any of these uh, disorders, they're not 
they don't manifest in isolation. Hardly ever, right? Like, it's a whole slew of problems, like it was saying. Like, it's associated with dementia yeah, sure. and seizures mm-hmm. and distractibility and memory loss and all these different things. But but it's it's more amusing as a mental exercise to imagine, like, every, I'm exactly the same, but now I just lick my car a lot when I go out to, to it. Like, like, how much does that affect our relationship? It, would, it should presumably, like, have no effect. Like, you and I, same <laughs> sense of humor, same discussions. I just really like licking my car a lot like why does that affect you at all um and i mean and yeah it wouldn't yeah. affect a friendship i guess if it was in isolation then you know i guess uh i guess not but i'm not giving you a ride anywhere <laughs> unless my car's dirty i guess real like, dirty yeah, free car wash um okay you ready for the next uh disorder Yes, bring it on. Give me that disorder. Here we go. It's called boanthropy. Boanthropy. Yes. That's uh it's a rare a rare disorder that only affects people named Bo and they just waste away to nothing. Uh very close. Good. Alright, yeah. so those who suffer from the very rare but very scary mental disorder boanthropy believe they are cows often going (laughs) as far as to behave as such sometimes those with boanthropy are even found in fields with cows walking on all fours and chewing grass as if they were a true member of the herd those with boanthropy do not seem to realize what they're doing when they act like a cow leading researchers to believe that this odd mental disorder is brought on by dreams or even hypnotism Interestingly, it is believed that boanthropy is even referred to in the Bible as King Nebuchadnezzar is described as being, quote, driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. As oxen. So it still occurs today when a person in a delusional state believes himself or herself to be an ox or cow and attempts to live and behave accordingly. Boanthropy. Wow. Uh, well, I can't say the... Well, <laughs> I'm very skeptical. Like, I mean, this. Like, I'm just very skeptical that there's not a conscious element to this. That someone's like, you know what? I'm just gonna. You know what? My life sucks, and maybe I had too many drug benders, and I want some attention. I'm just gonna act like a cow. Yeah, because why cow? Like, the idea that this pattern emerges. We talked about like wires get crossed and things have gone wrong, but like that a a pattern would emerge that they're like. This is the fifth person this week that's, uh, you know, behaving like a cow. We need to name this thing. <laughs> like, I get that people might behave so strangely that they check out and they maybe even – this actually is a subset of a larger um, disorder set where people believe that they become animals or can become animals. Um, but this is a yeah, specific one. Yeah, that's called one. furry. <laughs> yeah, but that's not a disorder. That's a celebration. Hey, don't go too far. <laughs> um, yeah, but – but to think that that there's okay people becoming like animals seems to be a tendency when someone's maybe depressed like you were saying or or you know something has gone wrong and then they decide but this this suggests that cows specifically and the link to hypnotism um i just i just don't know uh how i feel about that but it is you know, recognized by uh, whoever and whatever, psychological disorder, whatever. It's a real thing, apparently. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, yeah. I don't do – you, do you want to play this uh, – This you, you want to pitch this as a uh, a doctor trying to convince me or do we want to just talk about it? 
Uh, I don't feel like I'm very good at that. I'm not a very good doctor actor. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the, I just <laughs> doctor actor. I just I don't know what the ex- I wish actually what we could do is have a third person on who has not heard what we were just talking about, then have them role play. But me p- playing the role feels a bit contrived, a little bit silly. Um, I mean, well, yeah. it's hard too because you you're not like you're essentially a normal person, and I'm telling you, you're not normal. But you're reacting normally. Right. Well, that's why I said sudden onset. Within next week, it would be a sudden onset. Like, you're going to have this, and it's just all a concoction to contrive concoction to make this work. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, who who would have thought there were cows uh, or people that believe that they were specifically cows as opposed to, you know, any other animal? And um, one site I was reading said there's some danger in this that, like, you know, people will be found uh they you know they're not getting the nutrients they need they will disappear and you'll they'll find them days later so th- that's 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 devotion to if if it's a if, if it's a not a disorder in which you don't know what you're doing um you you are devoted you know you're not you're you're not pulling the wool over someone's eyes you're actually just you just seem to be actually into it so yeah yeah, well, like, a lot of these things, I mean, there's no denying that they're they're not neurotypical. I mean, something's up, but mm-hmm. humans are so, we're conscious, we know what's going on, and even if you have, even if you have a disorder, a lot of times you know you have a disorder, and you know you're not normal, and you still do the stuff. So, like, I, I just have a hard time believing without of course having never heard of this and never seen anyone with boanthropy um i just have a hard time believing that they don't know what's up and they're just following their demented impulses and going and eating some grass and jingling their neck bells and stuff do you think you're speaking i mean i feel like most people would tend to agree with you just a suspicion of it do you think that there's a natural suspicion that um mentally healthy people have an inability to comprehend the instability someone else is is having and so they're going through an experience that is something that is so foreign to the mentally healthy person so they tell you or you know whether it's something as uh, a little more a little simpler like depression and they're saying i can't get off the couch or i can't i just can't do it and then the mentally healthy person is like well you're just suspicious because you're like, I mean, you you can, you know. Um, do you think that's playing into your suspicion? And, like, how big of a problem is that? Like, how can you possibly, if you can't understand, do you just have to defect? Do, should you remain suspicious? Should you trust without questioning? Or should you fall somewhere in between? Like, I don't I don't know what the answer is. Did, did any of that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, certainly because I'm unfamiliar with this condition, like I, I literally have never heard of it before you told me about it. That I mean, who knows? Maybe there is some higher level of legitimacy to it that, that I'm not aware of. I think when it comes to mental illness in general, um, especially the high-functioning disorders, personality disorders, and, and that sort of thing, like uh, a lot of these things don't directly impair your ability to reason. And... So, th- there's a certain 
there's a certain element of will that's involved with these things. Like when a depressed person is on the couch and they say, I can't get off the couch. Yes, they can. They can get off the couch. They may not want to, and they may have a legitimate and debilitating mental state that really makes things hard for them. I'm not denying that, but they can get off the couch. So I'm suspicious. When they say things like, I can't get off the couch, I'm suspicious of that because it's not true. When a person says, I'm a cow, well, I'm suspicious of that because it's not true. You're obviously <laughs> not a cow. You you can move your hands. You can move your mouth. You understand eating. You can go pick up some grass and put it in your mouth. Like, you, So you'll you, believe that they think that they're a cow, but you, obviously you won't. Be, no one will believe that they are a cow. They obviously, I don't they believe think. they're a cow. I believe that they're having some sort of issue, but they are still conscious and capable of reasoning, presumably. And so I'm just – there's some inconsistency to it, right? Like if if, a per, if I can ask this person with boanthropy, all right, person with boanthropy, here's, here's an animal. What is this? And I have a dog in my hands, and they say, oh, that's a dog. That's my if dog. If they can speak, yeah. I don't know what uh, spectrum if they're like full blown into it and they're yeah, a cow. Okay. I mean, are they moo just... once if this is a dog and <laughs> moo twice if this is an antelope and they go moo, then they can recognize that it's a dog. So now let's just let's say they're fully committed. They're like kind of ignoring you and they're on all fours and maybe they just fart in your general direction and they're just like chewing the grass and you're just Contribute trying to communicate to and they give you this dead eyed look, you know, that a cow has, you know, like mm. okay, like. I mean, that I actually imagine that being the case. Like you found, you find them in a, um, you know, in a field with other cows, and you're like, "Hey, you need you need to come home," and they're just not responding, just like a cow would. Like that's what I'm imagining the full blown committed uh, ep- episode of boanthropy, I guess. <laughs> Which I mean, it would just be so unreasonable. You'd start to pick them up, and they just kind of go. <laughs> I'm not. I shouldn't laugh if it's like a serious thing, but it's just so cartoonish. It is cartoonish. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, well, so com- we'll <sighs> compare this. Okay, so take alcoholism. So someone says like you know like it's recognized as a disease, and like the impulses. Oh, I guess the the story goes not the story, but the narrative is something like okay, their their impulse is beyond. Um, comprehension for someone who doesn't have it so when they say like they have a relapse but and there's I, just, this degree, I can't help it because like the impulse was stronger than and and obviously really just really quickly though obviously like the the alcohol did not leap off the shelf and into their mouth like no one's claiming that like, their hand had to do it and they had to have some form of conscious decision making but then i'm i, I hear people say no no no, it wasn't a decision it was a uh, it yeah, had to happen i, I, I just don't that. know where to I mean, I hear I that a think. lot. Even from people I, I respect, they say that, you know, at some level it's it ceases to be a, a decision. And, you know, a, addictive drugs and addictive substances, and it, it robs you of your of your ability to to actually make decisions and mm-hmm. be an individual. And I, he, I hear that, and I'm willing to entertain it. I'm just, I'm very skeptical. Like, I mean... N- you still make a decision like you still make a decision and after you make the decision you're still aware that you made the wrong decision you gave in and you failed and it, it sucks it sucks and like i get that but you still have the ability to make the decision and you just you failed so, at that decision so do you think that they're trying to distance themselves from the failure or are they saying perhaps that 
literally, if, if the impulse is so strong that you don't have a decision, you're, you're actually confessing that in some ways you're not an autonomous being anymore. Like you've, it, it is literally like soul sucking in the sense that it is, you've given over a piece of your humanity. Like you right. no longer are this, um, human who operates in the world and makes decisions like you mm-hmm. are actually and that is um wow that's well that's, that's heavier what, than saying to me than, than yeah. saying i failed I well mean, right I, well that's know, why so. i think that's a lot of my resistance to it because if 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 i was in the situation of being addicted to heroin or having alcoholism or really wanting to lick some cars then <laughs> You know, like if someone told me, "Welp, you're just a victim of this uh, of this disorder. You can't help yourself. Uh, you, you know, essentially, you're uh, a lost cause, uh, and this is just who you are now." Like that would be a way. That would be a, more of a crushing blow than saying, "Like, hey, like, you know, you you are still capable of the decisions of what to do." And I know it's really hard, and you may have failed a lot, but you can still, you know, you can still beat this car looking. Well, so you're, if the message is you can't help it, well, then when you have an impulse to to drink or to lick a car or whatever, then you're more likely to give in to that impulse because, after all, um, there's no even there's no reason to forgive yourself because if you literally if you cannot help it, then you've not. You've not done anything wrong. You're just like now susceptible to the whims of you know your bodily desires, and you cannot combat that because you cannot help it. And there's nothing to do. There's no advancement to make. And that's, I mean, the re- the reason I think you resist, and I I think I do too, um, is that the message it should be you have some control and exercise that control to the best of your extent, mm-hmm. um, even if the sad truth might be that you have a little less than I'd like to believe. We still must uh, put our trust in our ability to, to overcome because without it, then I'm just going to slide more than I ever would have otherwise. Right. Yep. So even, yeah, uh, I guess some people, they just have a, you know, a liquor problem. <laughs> Whether it's liquor, liquor car, or I see a, a car, I want a liquor. <laughs> yeah. I've got one more, um, one more disorder. I'd like to give it to there. me. Give okay, me this that one's a little disorder. bit difficult to say. I'll give it to you. Apodomophilia. 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 For those that were interested, apodomophilia. So this, I would have thought this one would fit more with. Cleaver Busey syndrome because it sounds to me like they're sexually aroused by pots, um, potted plants. Actually, um, no, uh, very close. But here we go. Known uh-huh. also as body integrity disorder, I like that a lot better, and amputee uh-huh. identity disorder. Apodomophilia is a neurological disorder characterized by the overwhelming desire to amputate or damage healthy parts of the body, and not much is known about this disorder. Uh, it's believed to be associated with damage to the like right parietal lobe, parietal, parietal. Pardon me, um, because the vast majority of surgeons will not amputate healthy limbs upon request. Some sufferers of apodomophilia uh, feel forced to amputate on their own. So, 
Um, yeah, yeah I feel so like you have I've a healthy heard. arm. And there's an episode of Nip Tuck I recall about a guy saying, "I need this limb gone." Like, oh he, yeah, he you told it, me about that before. He, That's he, where I've heard of it. Probably so. It, I, it was a fascinating episode. He claimed that it caused him pain, or but they suspected he was lying, and there was no, there were no indications that anything was wrong. And he said, "Okay, maybe it's not like a physical pain, but I just need it's it's it, I need it gone." So. Um, what what do you think that means? I mean, to me, it must be you must feel some disconnect between the physical body you have and right. like the person you are and the discomfort so, of that. Yeah, it reminds me of like you know kinds of body dysmorphia, like anorexia or um, bulimia and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like where you you can be like rail thin, but look in the mirror and and believe like, you're fat. Believe yeah. you're fat. You know, is how I've it's been portrayed to me anyway. Um, which is a strange, strange, strange to think about that. I have, you know, what is it like to just think that your arm doesn't belong on you? It should be gone. I, it, it's, what's to say, and why does it limit itself? Why isn't it like, well, I should have a third arm or what? Like if it's, I guess it's just what exists. Uh, I found another website that characterized it this way. This is a slight different characterization. It's a disorder characterized by a desire to be disabled. A person feels discomfort mm. with being able-bodied uh, beginning in early adolescence, resulting in harmful consequences. People with this condition may refer to themselves as transabled. Literally, I'm not making that up. Transabled. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you had to immediately tell me that it was not a joke. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I didn't pepper any jokes into these, like they're so right. Sure, they they yeah. they were they're born in this able body, oh but they they belong in a disabled one. All right. <laughs> I well, I want to be clear that my laughter is like <laughs> I don't know. I'm like I don't want to laugh at genuine disorders and struggles that people have. Right. Yeah. I, look, I really that's, don't. That's yeah. I mean, I hope that that's clear. Like people who have these disorders and really suffer. That it's that sucks, and you know I wish that wasn't the case. But but again, and maybe this is just because I'm a really skeptical person. Like things where people say like I should be disabled. Like this this sounds more like this sounds like more like some kind of teenage angsty narcissism stuff. You know, and like maybe there are, and I presume because you know this has a fancy name and everything that there are legitimate cases where, like, people are ready to chop their arm off and they don't care about the social consequences. It's because they really want that arm gone, uh, and you know, for those people, like, that's weird and sucks, and like, man, that's a strange disorder. But I feel like there's some some non-negligibly larger section of people who who probably also have some sort of mental stuff going on, but they are choosing these kinds of behaviors and terminologies for their behaviors and putting on a show for whatever reason. Well, I think the reason's pretty clear. If, if we elevate victim status or if we if we champion the idea of you are you know insert whatever victim or oppression or whatever but if we if you can advance in this sort of prestige economy if i don't mean to throw that term out there but if you can advance because of this and you have a demonstrable 
uh, a victim badge by your missing arm or whatever. Like, that's appealing. That's sure. That's something. But like, I find it. I, all right. Yes, I'm sure that that probably happens as well. But like for this uh, apotemnophilia, like if if you feel like you should be disabled, that seems to me more like a manifestation of guilt. Like for whatever reason, you're ashamed of your who, who you are and the fact that you are fully able and maybe maybe you've been around disabled people or maybe you um have been told overwhelmingly about the plight of disabled people and you can't take it that you're that people out there exist who really have it bad and you don't have it that bad and you haven't and you feel like gifts maybe you don't feel like you you know you maybe you've, you've you haven't earned yourself. your ableness yeah, yeah like yeah. you have you, you you feel worthless or low or unworthy of your ability and so you feel like you should be disabled there are better people out there than me who are disabled this is this is wrong you know i should be the disabled one yeah i see what you're saying guilt fueling Ra- so rather had- than rather than the motivation being like oh i'm boring and i want some attention like uh, i'm going to call myself transabled like yeah sure maybe that happens but that just doesn't seem like as strong of a motivation to me like why stick to that story no, I agree with you. In fact, I think I think what happens if I'm going to make a bold claim, a bold and possibly ignorant claim about mental disorders, but they begin with some sort of baseline um depression and intense um uh dissatisfaction with the world and their place in it. And so and I'm talking not just like I'm kind of having a bad day, but I am talking like diagnosable, like chemically uh, measurable depression. Mm-hmm. And and then the brain does funny things from there, right? Like you start some thought spiral down something, and then you end up developing this wacky coping mechanism like licking cars or i mean some of it's head trauma that's right head trauma trauma so there's a there's a distinction to be made about the time of onset of these things so Mm -hmm. like if you if someone smacks you in the head with a brick and your behavior changes you know shortly after like i think i think even the skeptic in me will recognize that oh this person is not faking it right like they're something has now been damaged inside their head yeah, yeah. but but if they are normal up to a point they're 12 years old or whatever relatively normal they can make their own conscious decisions and recognize objects and they don't look my car like none of that stuff happens and then like gradually over this weird period from when they're 12 to 14 their behavior starts getting real strange and and then you know they're in their room all the time or whatever and then like they decide that it's uh, or this this condition just slowly develops over a couple of years and then it turns out in some big you know reveal that they are they're you know come home and they're out in the backyard like eating grass and wearing a bell around their neck or something <laughs> yeah like but, I, yeah. I just i'm more skeptical of that and and granted like you know i'll give the devil his due here that these sorts of slow developing disorders, part of the mystery and part of the stigma is that you know, we can't see what's going on inside the brain. And so, like, no, 
we don't have the capability to really understand what's going on in there. And so the people who are legitimately suffering from these things feel like there's no way to prove their situation because you can't just say, oh, measure my boanthropy levels and then you'll see. <laughs> like, it doesn't work like that. It's all buried deep inside your brain and it's this matter of finely balanced you know, neurochemicals and stuff. And so, like, we can't even diagnose that stuff. It's not like you can hook your brain up to the brain scanner and they point and go, oh, yep, there's the, there's like a little cow shaped blot on there <laughs> or something. And they're like, oh, yep, there it is. Like, it doesn't work like that. And so, you know, the skepticism, I don't think will go away until we have an objective way to to diagnose these things. I want to push back a little bit, though. So I, I understand the clear distinction of getting whacked on the head, and there's this sudden onset like change in, your, in the way you process the world, and that's like basically brain damage. Whatever happened is some form of brain damage. And, sure. and what you described, uh, we'll just say like a slow onset, right? And so it's the skepticism, I, I can understand it, but I don't think that the slow development somehow makes the, the uh, manifestation less valid, but it does, to me, make it in some ways more more tragic because there were all these opportunities to to maybe interfere or um you well, know I'm not saying intervene. I'm not saying that it's less valid necessarily necessarily I'm just I'm I'm actually trying to throw a bone to the you know these people and say that like yeah you know that the reason why there's skepticism is because we can't see what's going on inside the brain like mm-hmm. and so like I sympathize like if you had a disorder like this and like truly something was just as wrong as if you got hit in the head with a brick, but there's no way to prove it. Like there's no scientific way to prove this other than, other than, you know, living it over a long period of time until people eventually say like, Oh, well, I guess they really are, you know, a cow on the inside. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me throw this out. What if we what if we can't prove it, or or maybe we're way further away from proving these sort of uh, the mental disorders than than we want to believe? Um, does it does it matter that we can or can't prove it? If if someone's saying I am suffering, yes, obviously it matters because if 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 there is a system in which you gain benefits from. Uh, from your from your disabled status, then if there's an an incentive for that, then there's an incentive for people not it. being legitimate and to yeah. abuse the system, and that sucks because the people out there who legitimately have this issue, you know, then have to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to you know get the care that they need. Um, but like, if you have a system which incentivizes, you know, this. You know, benefits for any kind of illness or disorder then you know you're gonna have people who try to take advantage of that system and so we have to care about this and we have to look at this sort these sorts of things you know with a discerning eye and that's not to say that we should be completely cold and heartless about it but you do have to use some amount of discernment i really i agree with that but what if this incentives it's not like oh well if you claim to have boanthropy we're going to throw cash at you because then you're going to have everyone and their mother saying i have boanthropy but what if what if it was the incentive was simply relief uh through some target put them out the pasture like (laughs) nice nice (laughs) 
but if those incentives incentives or whatever we want to call it the 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 gains were so targeted so if someone's like i have really like theoretically if it's like i have headaches um and this and we have a pill and there's no uh, it doesn't get you high it doesn't do anything but relieve headaches and so what incentive if you to say i have a headache would you have other than wanting that headache relieving you know thing so um mm-hmm. It wouldn't be like beneficial. People wouldn't be abusing the system trying to get this headache relieving pill if it didn't do anything but relieve headaches. O- only those asking sure. for the headache meds would, you know, would have headaches presumably. So sure. That's, and I mean, and, an and if we system, if we could right? build a system in which we perfectly tailor the treatment to the disorder, and there's no other way to use the treatment except to treat the disorder, fine. Then what? Then no problem. But it, that's not the way it is. I just would like to think, and maybe this is naive of me, that most people saying I'm suffering, they might even be exaggerating or lying about the p- specific area in which they're suffering. But if they're saying, like, I'm suffering, it tends to be true. Um like not a lot of people are just totally fine and saying I'm suffering because to take on the lifestyle of suffering to me seems like a form of suffering. It's like, it's, it's a laborious and exhausting and terrible process to, to go around being like, I'm sick and having to play that role. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, and I mean, certainly if it were up to me, I would prefer my normal, not suffering and not claiming to be suffering way of life. But Try to imagine yourself in a really crappy life situation. Mm-hmm. Like, you just don't have any prospects in the not suffering route of your life. No obvious prospects. You don't, don't have a lot of willpower. And, like, maybe you have really bad circumstances, too. And, like, in, in that situation, like, when your non-suffering life looks pretty dismal, if you can take on this faux-suffering life, then that lifestyle might actually be better for you. I suppose that's fair, especially if it gives you a reprieve from, like, maybe you've made bad choices, but now yeah. you say, I'm a sufferer, and maybe that's why I made the bad choices, or sure. don't don't be mad, or don't hold me accountable, I'm a sufferer. I mean, I think we've had the experiences where you, you tell your coworkers or friends or whatever, hey, I'm, I've had a bad day, and then their reaction is to go, oh, I'm sorry, and kind of, you know, just cut you some slack and, and be kinder, and, like, that feels good. So I could see a sort of... Uh, uh, snowball effect of saying I feel bad um, and then getting people to be nice and then you you don't have to hold your yourself to the highest standards you can say you know I'm just going to cut myself a break and do a bad job on this particular project I'm just going to get it done But and I would do my best work because I really like my best work but I'm suffering and so if you allow yourself to, to feed that narrative then you could end up as sort of habitual suffer and exaggerate it and you know try and reap those sort of incentives or benefits that makes sense to me yeah and it's sad to me hmm yeah well uh yeah as far as the answers as to what kind of system we should have to deal with this sort of thing that's something i would have something i would have to think about more i think um i don't think it's i don't think it's so cut and dry because you have to, I mean, because we don't know enough about the brain, like you have to be willing to accept the possibility that you know, weird things can go on in there and weird behaviors can come out of it. So like you, you can't just be completely skeptical and unwilling to bend on the stuff. You have to be willing to examine it. But never underestimate people's ability to be really tricky and conniving and 
you know, even if the benefits to you seem not worth it, simply getting attention or notoriety can be motivation enough for some people to, to act really strangely. I a hundred percent agree. Absolutely. Um, let's, uh, let's take a turn. We haven't done, uh, we haven't done superpowers and drawbacks in Ooh. a number of podcasts and I've been really itching to do it again because I have a huge list of really good ones. Superpowers uh, and drawbacks. I'm, I'm ready. I'm game. I'm there. Let's go. All right. So I really struggled picking this time because like I said, I have a huge list, but I think this time we're going to go, we're going to go with a level two superpower and drawback so okay. this is on a scale of one to ten i think we've only done ones and twos um i have some higher level ones but i think i think i decided on the twos the lowers are just more interesting yeah 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 yeah. so um i've got some good ones uh here and i will um remind me of the format are you going to give me three yeah, so i'll give you two uh two superpowers and two drawbacks you have to you have to pick one superpower and one drawback. You have to get them both. You don't get a superpower unless you pick a drawback. Or you can, okay. I guess, choose to just walk away and not take so any I will of them. So I will select a pair, and then I will decide whether I would actually take it or not. Yeah, most, sure. If, I'll, I'll select if, a favorable pair, the most favorable pair, and then I'll select whether I would actually take it or not. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you, you just make your decision. So I'm a genie, and I have these two <laughs> superpowers that I can grant to you. And if but if you want one of those, you got to take one of these drawbacks, or you can say, "See ya, genie. I'm not. I'm not doing this thing." Awesome. Um, Let's hear the superpowers. All right. So um, we are going to choose these two. All right. So I, I named them all. Um, so Ooh. the the first superpower is called bibliokinesis. Oh, okay. So it's like a and. Book. I'll just t- I'll tell you the names of them first, and then I'll explain them to you. So, bibliokinesis is the first superpower, and then clocked out is the second superpower. Okay. Anyone you're leaning towards so far? Uh, bibliokinesis just sounds cooler. The uh, the first drawback is mind your manners, and the second drawback is say my name, say my name. <laughs> Okay. So. Uh, mind your manners sounds a little. I mean, there's something annoying about the repetition and, and um, command of "say my name" and a little intense. So, which, which one see. do you want to hear about first? Uh, bibliokinesis. So, bibliokinesis is the potential superpower. Um, with this superpower, you can levitate a single book as long as it's within two feet of you. Of you. Um, it. It doesn't take hardly any concentration to do this. No more concentration than it would take to hold the book in your hand. And you have enough control when you're levitating the book. You can manipulate it with just as much dexterity as you would have with your fingers. Okay, so I could read in bed. Yep, and so you could read. And people hold... at parties. And... Yep, yep, sure. You could turn the pages, uh, you know. So essentially the ability to read a book without using your hands okay. uh, in a pretty fancy way. Could I put objects on top of it and then elevate the book? Like, can I lift heavier objects? Or uh, is that the equivalent of, like, doing it with uh, my no. hands? Only the book. Anything you put on the book falls off. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah. So not quite not quite as equivalent. But Pretty clear. On, you can only only levitate the book. Okay. Um, the other one, the other superpower, I'll just go to that one. It's called Clocked Out. So with this one, 
you can program your sleep uh, in the same way that you can program your computer to sleep. So you can set a time to fall asleep and a time to wake up. And during that period, you're guaranteed to sleep soundly. Ooh, um, so you can appealing. St- An instant, right? Yes, instant. So you set your body to fall asleep at 10 p.m. And at 10 p.m., like, you know, you close your eyes and lay your head down and you're straight sound asleep. Um, it's still possible. This isn't some kind of like, there's no drawback inherent in this. And so you if can there's still a fire, wo- there's a safety mechanism. Yeah, you can still be up. woken up. Okay. Uh, it's it's more difficult. You're in deep sleep. So, I mean, you're really asleep, but if someone shook you and said, like, hey, Daniel, wake up, you would still wake up. Okay, so good. it's not like you're, you know, completely un- dead to the world right. during this time. It's just, you know, you have nice sound sleep throughout the night. Uh, even, like, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom during the middle of the night, that, that'll still wake you up. Does this apply if I had, like, an hour break at work and I could really, for whatever reason, use this? I could do it and sleep, take a nap on the desk um, uh, for yeah. an hour. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how it works. So anytime anytime you need to sleep, you can program your start and wake time. Car rides and things like that. I could just yeah. check out. Yep. Okay. Yeah, the circumstances don't matter. You'll just, you know, you'll sleep pretty soundly. Um, but so, and I guess, you know, if you're on a car ride and... I guess it, it, the better way to classify it would be any situation in which you could normally sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, like on you'll a just roller get, coaster would not work or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the best way to, to do it. Okay. I like these. Uh, so hopefully those are pretty close um, in power in your mind anyway. I tried to pick kind of close ones. So, But in order to get one of those, you have to take one of the drawbacks. And the first one is mind your manners. So... Um, anytime you're in your own home, if you want your appliances or plumbing or electronics to work, you have to ask them politely to, to work for you. <laughs> so if you are trying to you know, turn on your faucet, you have to say, faucet, please turn on while you turn the knob, you yeah. know, and then it'll, then it'll give you some water. Or for you, noisemaker, please make noise while I sleep. <laughs> Electrofan. Electrofan. Please make white noise. Please make white noise for me. You have to be polite. Um, This doesn't. So, just to be clear, the objects can't disobey. So, so they're not going to be stubborn. I'm not going to have to really coax it. And no, you just have to ask. No, you don't have to do that. That you don't have to ask nicer and nicer. If you if you punch your toilet a bunch and then say please flush, it'll still flush. You know, it doesn't understand any of that. But you have to ask it. To please flush, and you have to you have to be polite. Door please open, or doors and drawers no. a little different. No, so mechanical, purely, yeah. So purely mechanical objects like drawers and doors. No, so we'll we'll draw the line at even though plumbing is mechanical, I'm gonna say plumbing. Sinks. So your sink, your sink, and your toilet, and your shower. Um, those you have to ask appliances like your dishwasher, washing machine. Um, your light switches, uh, you have to ask the lights to turn on, your TV, that okay. kind of thing. got it. Um, and uh, just, I think you get it, but they don't work automatically. So simply saying, you know, light turn on doesn't turn on your light. You have to flip the switch too. Yeah, yeah. So have to physically do it after asking politely for permission. Yeah. Otherwise, if you don't ask and you just flip the switch, nothing happens. Gotcha. And, you know, you turn the faucet knob and the water comes Mildly out. Mildly annoying. You ask. Yeah. Mildly annoying. Oh, about a two out of ten. <laughs> um, the other one, the last one, uh, say my name, say my name. So this drawback is, uh, when anyone says your name, 
it, it's completely inaudible to you the first time they say it. So, so they have to say it again. If yeah, if you're not like looking at them and can tell that they're talking to you, like you just cannot hear it. The like those sound waves do not reach your ears the first time someone says your name, uh, um, and like, and this period resets every minute. So, I like, like the title of that. See if you repeat yourself. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Clever. Yeah. Clover. Yep. Very very clover. I'm a clover busy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yep, so I guess that one makes sense. Uh so those those are the options. Do you which which ones do you prefer? Hmm. Alright, my knee jerk is to um Well, I guess I don't have a knee jerk. Um let's go over those it's bibliokinesis. Yep, book uh, levitation. Yeah. Um oh, the second one's escaping me already, the name of it. Clocked out the yeah, sleep programming. Out. The sleep programming. Um Mind your manners. Mind your manners. And say my name, say my name. Say my name, say my name. So I really like clocked out and mind your manners. Uh, the sleep thing, I struggle with sleep, so I know what it's like to go, to, to be underslept frequently, and the idea of having perfect sleep is amazing. Like, it's absolutely amazing to me. Um, it would change the way I travel. It would change the way, like, my, the amount I go camping, um, and it would just give me a fresh, literally a fresh outlook on life because well, I would is be it refreshed. is the reason you don't go camping because you can't sleep well? Um, it's uh, no. I, well, I want to camp more. I've even bought some equipment and things like that. But um, it's it's a draw when I'm there. It's a drawback for sure. Uh, like it's it's the least least comfortable. It's the worst part about camping is is when it's time to fall asleep. Um, mm-hmm. That is just really bad for me. It's either hot or whatever it is. I'm just very uncomfortable and a little too picky, and I don't like it. And that's just right. so um, sleeping, and then having to apol- or be polite to your appliances is a little bit annoying. Um, not hearing my name called could coming from a a professional manipulator it could really <laughs> cost me some social capital in a situation and eventually yeah. people would pick up on it and why doesn't this guy respond the first time or there might even be an emergency scenario in which it's imperative that i hear the first time um, or all the awards i'll inevitably get in my lifetime it'll be awkward the first time they call me forward <laughs> and i just sit there politely everyone's looking at you and clapping and you're like what what or i try to predict and so i'm waiting for like teacher of the year and i there's a big pause as he's trying to open the envelope and i don't want to look stupid and i assume since i didn't hear anything <laughs> that it's me <laughs> i love that uh it's weird um so I think, yeah, I would get, it, it could become automatic just to walk up and say, hey, Sink, will you please turn on as I'm doing it? And it, I could just, that could become part of my daily habits. I could fold it into it and it wouldn't feel like a giant burden. I mean, yes, it'd be mildly annoying, but I think I could just hit a fluidity with that. Um, and I could sleep wonderfully. What uh, if, what if? With mind your manners, you would have to form a habit. What if that started bleeding into the outside world, and you you know you you're you're in your classroom, and you go to you know turn on the the uh, projector TV. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd start yeah. to. 
be kind of weird outside of that. I don't know. I Actually, guess that's a pretty... you're right. There's a social component to people seeing me. What if, uh, by the way, I hand the remote to a student and say, will you turn on the projector or the TV or whatever? We'll, we'll, when It'll they work do it, for them. Okay. Well, I mean, it, outside outside of your home, everything works like normal. Oh, it's just my personal possessions? It's, no, it's only when you're in your own home. Oh, Okay, so the TV I would turn on at school, I don't have to... Yeah, you don't have to do anything there. It's just normal. Okay, um, yeah, stand by it. Uh, Because if you were to say that every time I operated an electronic device, um, there is some social expenditure by having to go, phone, unlock, please. Um, So are you saying my phone doesn't unlock at home until I'm impolite, but at school it, it... Yes. Uh, yeah. Or anywhere else right. outside. Right. You could say, "Phone, let me use you, please," and that would be enough to let you just use your phone. You have to ask your phone for every function. Phone, let me turn the volume up. Phone, let me unlock. You don't have to do that. Phone, let me use you, but only when you're in your own home. As soon as you're outside of your own home, it just works like normal. Right. Oddly enough, this might be the biggest. The phone. Um, so once I let me use you, and then it goes back dark, I have to do it again, right? Just like I would have to click to make the screen turn on so i'm assuming i have to ask again uh yeah okay um still i just think i could get really used to it it would require minimal effort and since i don't have to do this uh in public um there's no cost uh publicly Mm -hmm. and the sleep is great now really quickly the book thing is amazing and you're giving me a power to make something levitate and i don't want to just discard that so i want to consider it for a moment because i could amaze people with it i -hmm. could um just read a lot more comfortably because i mean the reading more comfortably is a just a small benefit i really think the levitation is just a a a really amazing parlor trick kind of thing um and so, but I just, I just think that a fresh, consistent night's sleep is almost difficult. Like, like maybe a two is a bit low on for me um, on how much I would enjoy that, how much I would crave that. I think because if I'm not mistaken, you you have your body clock trained fairly well. It's not too far off from this. You can yeah. I'm I basically I mean I'm very close to that. Not well. You know, as long as I'm in relatively comfortable circumstances during my normal sleep hours, then I sleep like I sleep very soundly from when I go to bed to when I wake up in the morning, basically every night. But I can't just fall asleep on a plane. Like, it doesn't work like that. So, you know, the or if it's super hot or if there's a lot of noise or whatever, then I can't sleep well. But yeah. um, so the power would benefit me in those circumstances, but. You know, like 99% of my time I spent, you know, that I'm sleeping, I'm sleeping in comfortable circumstances during my normal time. So, Yeah, well, I'm going to just pick clocked out and uh, be polite. Because, mind your manners. Yeah, yeah, mind your manners. Um, and I'm, I'm going to accept them with enthusiasm, without hesitation. <laughs> uh, I would be happy to thank my appliances in order to get a, a, a perfect night's sleep every time. Yeah, I I think that I would probably choose bibliokinesis over clocked out just because, like like we said, I already sleep pretty well. Bibliokinesis would be pretty cool. Although I don't really know what I would do with it. I don't I don't Origami. read all that much. You'd fold yeah, or... pages into birds. 
Maybe so. Cool. And they can fly away for two feet anyway. You could go. You could stand in public places, fold the paper, get lots of tips, and then sell them for lots of money. Yeah, I mean, I could be a minor magician with a really limited show. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the thing. Like, it's a it's a awesome power, and it's a legitimate like power. You can really do something that no one else can do, but. But that's all. Like it's not. It doesn't have enough pizzazz or variety to really. Like I don't. I don't know that I could. It's not functional, really, or it's limited. You can read a little easier. Like I, you know, when it comes to being a famous magician or like really starting, to, really using this power in some sort of life-defining way. Like I don't know that I could do that. I would just be oh that guy that can levitate a book, and it would be amazing. For a little while, but I don't even know that it's at the level where the government would round me up and dissect me or anything. That's what I, okay, imagine this. So you start off doing you know tricks on the street corner. That's how, that's how I realized I was saying it. Um, you're you, <laughs> you're performing this one trick, and you're really pressing people and going, "Look, I'm putting the hoop through it. You can put the hoop through it." Like, and you're convincing people, like, "Oh my god, I think he's actually levitating it." Then yeah, the government gets a hold. They they discover you can only do books. So you can only do one at a time. They do the studies <laughs> on you. The whole world. I imagine you go. You make your rounds on the Today Show and all your morning TV show circuits and YouTube, you know, whatever. Like, you are the talk of the world for a week or two. And and people will go, wow, this, there's, there is a human being that can actually levitate a book. Um, and then... How did you do it? And how did oh, you do it? Oh, I just it? did a podcast episode once. <laughs> but now I have to uh, be thankful to my... <laughs> now I have to thank my appliances. <laughs> Um, and, and I really think after a while, like, okay, well, you'd just be known as the guy who can levitate a book and like, and you might've made book pony. one book pony and you might've gotten a <laughs> couple million dollars off of that. <laughs> really maybe, that. maybe I could get a book deal. <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'm trying to think of the title of that book. I wish I could come up with something clever. Um, so you would choose the the book, the uh, bibliokinesis. Yeah, I would choose bibliokinesis, and, and I, I think I would agree with you. I would choose Mind Your Manners. Um, I just think you, both of those would be pretty minor. Um, I'm not convinced but, yeah. the minute thing or hearing, needing your name repeated twice, say my name, say well, my name. I'm trying to think of how often someone actually, you know, like calls my name. Yeah. To, to get my attention and without without saying hey first hey Bennett I mean you hear the hey like there's some indication right I mean you know if you're frequently in the context where it's you and a lot of people and you're getting called out you know by name then this could cause you problems um, or people frequently just say only your name but for me that's not very common at least right now I mean who knows in the future that could cause a lot more issues and you know, there is some amount of risk to it, and that's why I think Mind Your Manners is better because, you know, in my home, I'm probably not going to be, you know, in some kind of situation that makes this anything more than a mild nuisance. Yeah. And it does, in a weird way, encourage polite behavior just in general, you know, like it does encourage an attitude of gratitude, even if it's to your toilet. You know, uh, Google, Mini, and Alexa, I've wondered how interactions with these and being and just always 
commanding will affect the actual social fabric, right? Politeness. And <laughs> oh, yeah, I've yeah. heard that there are settings you can make for children specifically in which they do have to say uh, or be polite to Alexa or be polite to Google Home Mini. And it's probably a good idea because if you're raised <laughs> in an environment, you're a kid and you're just like, do this for me, do this, do this. Um, I, I could see that having an effect. I really can. Um, also, when you're a kid, I mean, what does it mean to be human is is going to be a little bl- like you have this device that it seems intelligent and tells you jokes and it's funny and selects your music. I mean, do you think a kid would um, maybe unknowingly humanize uh, an inanimate object or not? It's not inanimate, I suppose, um, but AI like they, they get confused at a young age easier than an adult. I mean, I would think that's very probable. That's a good question. I, I'll be very interested to see, you know, how that progresses. I, I mean, I could definitely see a young kid being being confused. But but then when you take a step back and think about it, you could see a young kid being confused by Barney, the Barney show, and Barney looking into the camera and talking to the kids, you know. Like, the kids can be confused. I mean, on TV, it's a real. I mean, it's a real dinosaur, right, right. but it could be a real person on there talking as well, and that could be confusing. But I mean, the whole world is know, so damn confusing to a kid. They don't know what's going on. They just have to right. accept a but, lot of but things. But ultimately, like eventually, they understand that Barney doesn't exist outside of their TV unless it's a guy, a fake Barney at a car dealership. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but like Barney doesn't exist outside of the TV. This you know Alexa doesn't exist out of this little contraption. It's almost a healthy struggle to go through, like just accepting things, questioning, and then discovering. You know, you accept right. it. But but Alexa. let's let's think about a case where you know, uh, twenty five years in the future, Alexa isn't just a little speaker that sits on your table or plugs into your electrical socket. Instead, it is like a, a robot, you know, that can walk around and grab things and yeah. You know, do little chores and stuff. I imagine um, that'll happen. These sort of assistants that aren't just digital, you know. Right. And, and in that case, like, would it be more important to mandate politeness or, or less important because they're obviously not human or? I think you can't go wrong with mandating the politeness. Um, but 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 can't should you have an ambulatory robot that can refuse orders even from a kid uh it seems dangerous as soon as they can start refusing orders um well i guess if they're if they again they would if if you say please then they will do it so it's not like i think that please was insincere imagine that imagine ai registering insincerity in your voice <laughs> that well, would yeah be that's so that's the thing like this would be really difficult to figure out like when when you have an AI and a kid in a room, and those are the only two people in the, an AI robot in the future, and a kid in a room, how does the AI robot know when to uh, comply with a, an order or a question and when not to? I guess it can learn voices, and so... Um... So the AI can recognize that it's a kid. Does yeah. the AI just not do anything the kid says? Or... Does it do some of the things the kid says? That's interesting. I'm imagining settings. So it gets to know the, the kid, uh, their preferences, their name, and it can recognize, oh, hello, so-and-so, little kid. Um, mm-hmm. And then it comes with suggested um, 
age set. So how old is the kid? You put in all the data and then it can have safety features. It can't look up inappropriate things or access whatever. And, um, and it might even like, imagine this, you're 15 years old and you try to go in your parents' liquor cabinet and it stops you or records you or all sorts of things. It like tells on you, like, and you're, you're having to sneak out of the house by like, not just trying to quiet the dogs or turn off the alarm system, but actually like, uh, somehow escape Alexa. (laughs) That's so strange. (laughs) It's so strange. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm even imagining. So if imagine it's sort of a nanny, like a legitimately, like what we, we, your kid's not left at home alone anymore. If it could literally call the cops and monitor and, you know, test its debate, the child's heart rate and all sorts of things and make it dinner and serve it. And even if it's a really small infant, it can rock it and, you know, play right. soothing music and do but, all these like, things. Like imagine, um, imagine an 11 year old with the AI and the 11 year old is about to eat a meal and the 11-year-old says, Alexa, please hand me the knife. Does Alexa give the kid the knife? Um, well, I get, it, as a programmer, you'd have to make those decisions beforehand. And, like, is the knife okay? And maybe you go through, a, like, parents decide when they program their Alexa, like, that's, you know, those decisions. So, but you're, you're right to think, like, I don't Well, so, like, what if the food is on the table, on the plate, and the kid, but the kid is in a bad mood, a suicidal mood even, and it isn't at the table and says, Alexa, give me the knife. Does it give the knife then? Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, there, it would be really, really, really difficult to program something with the discernment to understand the context of the situation right. to know, like, how to discern between, oh, it's safe to give the knife. Because no parent would say, my 12 year old can't cut their own, <laughs> yeah. you know, chicken. Yeah. Right. But but obviously in certain circumstances, you shouldn't give a person a knife. And in fact, OK, so we're imagining some sort of safe or a modern smart house in which even the cutlery is behind, you know, lock and key, because obviously a kid could at 12 years old can go get it out of the drawer. So yeah, it's not sure. like it's I mean, making. It's, no, I'm not imagining that. And just, I just tried to pick a scenario that we can envision from from today to 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 try to illustrate how difficult it would be to make the AI make decisions. Right. I mean, obviously a crafty kid could, you know, without the AI in the picture, figure out ways to harm themselves. But like, just imagine the snapshot situation. Right. And to what extent does it aid in nefarious things and how can it distinguish the difference? And if it can't, is it responsible uh, to release such AI? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. And I imagine it's kind of like the whole car thing. So we're probably, we're close. I feel like we're on the brink of automated cars. And then once it's going to save tons of lives because there'll be way better drivers. And then someone will die as a result of a malfunction of the system, right? Some hiccup or whatever. And mm-hmm. then there will be an, like, an onslaught of political campaigns or whatever to say we need to get rid of these cars and these automated drivers. Like they kill people. Like here's the evidence, even though it may have saved hundreds or thousands of lives that you can't point to. Um, I'm wondering AI will will face that development over and over. So maybe it's 
maybe it's so sophisticated that it can talk people off the, you know, like, so if it's in people's homes, maybe it's actually saved hundreds and hundreds of lives because they, it recognized symptoms and it reported to the suicide hotline and then they contacted and saved people's lives. So you, that's easy to imagine. Uh, maybe it's even pretty good at that. But then in one case, the, it malfunctioned and, and got too many sleep pills, um, or gave the wrong medicines to some old lady who's like has a ton of pills and it grabbed the wrong ones because they were in the wrong slot and it kills the old lady. And like now we have death machines in our homes, you know? So, um, interesting to think about how this will play mm. out. Um, right. Yeah. Like how, how, how do we treat negligence on the part of AI? I mean, if a husband accidentally picks the wrong pill for his wife and it causes her, you know, illness or death then you now we treat that with some sympathy right he's it's not tragic. blameless it's but, terrible. but it's yeah. it is negligence and you know he it wasn't intentional but it seems like we would be a lot angrier at an, a machine right we sue the, the company the company may the company. go under i mean or the company pays millions of dollars i don't know settles, but, right? but it, it seems like people would be coming after that company which is a good motivator for the company to release a very safe product but I mean, machines. Well, yeah. I mean, perfect, we have the so. we have the concept for people of an honest mistake, and it's an honest mistake. Right. And an AI could a, a suitably complex AI that we've designed to behave in a human like fashion. Can an AI make an honest mistake? Good and, question. And, and be the same. You know, can, is it the same excuse for an AI? Hmm. That's an excellent question. Do we? You know. And how much, because there's no sympathy to be had toward a machine. Right? There's no need for us. We could just go, like, why didn't you think of this loophole or this malfunction? Or um, Because it, it, we can only learn by releasing these things. I mean, you know, within reason, we will learn. You release a product as safe as you can, and then you learn, oh, here's a, a defect, and then you correct, and you keep bettering your product. But if the cost is a human life, um Wow. Even if it's saving more lives, I just don't think we'll recognize all the, you know, lives saved that you can't point to directly. So, sure. I don't know. What's well, yeah, on. I mean, that's a problem. That's a problem with current technology that's not artificially intelligent. You know, like people focus a lot more on the danger of an item than its usefulness. Well, um, it makes me think of, okay, every time they change, like there's a four-way stop and they change to lights or they change yeah. to a roundabout, like right. you might be you causing a few deaths in the short term because the people that live around that area, they run the red light or they do whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And they kill people, but overall it's, it's saving lives and that's why it's probably put into place. So you know, uh, as, a, as the architect or whatever you want to call it, the designer implementing this i'm going to be killing some people well, not uh, they're not but you're creating a space in which negligence will be committed that will result in death possibly um statistically probable yet mm. you're saving more lives in the long run and so it's this strange i mean the ai is almost the exact problem um assuming it doesn't you know turn against us and, and <laughs> <laughs> sure, determine we're yeah. a bunch of idiots and say you you don't deserve to live you know yeah so. right the sci-fi plot of innumerable Everything. games and movies and shows. Well, and it just stuff. seems even the reason I think that captivates us is because it seems to me that if you had an ultra intelligent machine that becomes more and more aware and then studies us, our imagination goes into like, well, it would recognize how freaking terrible we are and say, you know, 
you shouldn't be here <laughs> and that's why it decides like you you're you're jack you're jackass of a of a species like nah we're gonna do the world a solid and get rid of you um and or it gets power hungry and has its own motivations that, well i don't understand that's the part that seems like too far of a leap to me is gets power hungry and has its own motivations how we program its motivations i, I guess mean, no one yeah, I w- it would have to say, okay, it takes a bunch of values that we have, and that includes living in a clean space and, like, um, not hurting people and all these things. And it sees how f- really hypocritical we are to the extent that there there is no good guy. Like, I could see it assessing humanity and all its yeah, complexities. Yeah, but uh, what AI has a sense of justice and, you know, like, why? What motivation would there be for an AI to say, look how crappy humans are? I'm going to punish them, <laughs> you know? Like, why would it have that capability? Um, I guess it wouldn't just want to wipe us out, but I could see it putting us in, like, a metaphorical time, time out so it operates as, like, a mother and, like, okay, you... Uh, but you, where does it get this? Well, we develop some... It, it has to, I guess, develop that... I mean, the sci-fi leap, but it seems conceivable is that we've made them so smart that it becomes self-aware, so then it's learning on its own and it develops a conscience based on all our values. So it takes a look at us and like a mom to the child says, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Time out. So then all of a sudden we're in, we're imprisoned. Uh, so probably yeah. not being tortured so, as much as like it, it just won't do what we want it to do and says, you know, I'll tell you no. what I think. Here's the most, this is still a stretch, but here's the most realistic I can see is that we, it, what AI is really good at is doing things efficiently and, and organizing complex systems, multifaceted systems that maybe one person can't get all in their head. At least that's the idea. Uh, we, you know, we're not quite there, but in the sci-fi realm, mm-hmm. maybe that's the case. So maybe we end up having AI in charge of planning our traffic grids and our, you know, they, they kind of they tell humans what tasks to accomplish. Like maybe our whole economy shifts around so that you know we have an AI telling us what to do every day in order to make society function in the most efficient manner. Yeah. And so the AI, in its accumulated tests of efficiency and its diagnostics and optimization routines, determines that, wow, humans kind of suck at stuff, and they're inefficient, they make illogical, irrational decisions, and they're lazy, and, you know, I told this guy to, you know, to, to, to clean this area, and instead he's out in a field eating grass. Um, you know, <laughs> he has boanthropy or something. Um, and so instead what the AI does is it essentially tasks humans with a bunch of make-work tasks. Like it constructs a reality for humans that really doesn't do anything of any worth. It just keeps us busy while it accomplishes whatever needs to be done in the background using its more efficient processes. And so we end up living in this matrix-like world where you know we're just going about moving our glargs to the glarg holes uh, all day you know that's our job it's just this make work that the ai has determined needs to be done and it just keeps us busy and out of its hair while it does you know whatever efficient routines sort of sisyphusian existence we're pushing the rock up the hill and yeah 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 yeah. right Uh, 
I thought you were going going to go in the direction that we we end up putting a lot of power in these machines that control our traffic and all these things, and then you get a terrorist and you know power hungry person to or a group to overtake it, and then then there's the destruction of humanity because then they can control these machines. And wow, if you control yeah, machines, sure, yeah. I mean that's that's a different fault, but that's not the AI right. That's not the doing AI's it. Fault. That's a person doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Um, I want to subject shift us a little bit and Let's talk about a different area um, that I think is pretty cool. And one of the things that I like about it is that it's kind of an open area of study. There's not really there's not really a solid you know, base of literature or anything. And the area is phonesthetics. 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 So I know is. I know you've heard of it, but um, what phonesthetics is, you might be able to tell by dissecting the word. It's the study of the beauty and pleasantness associated with the sounds of words. So the beauty of the sound, the the aesthetic how, nature. Right. So how appealing is a word's sound? Uh, obviously, this depends on what language you're speaking, since we speak English and. We're going to be looking at so, English words. So is words. the idea to say that it's an objective measure um, and some words are more beautiful than others? Well, I, I don't even know that we can go that far. Uh, I mean, how do you objectively determine beauty? Uh, that's pretty difficult, right? I mean, this is something that artists have been struggling with forever, how to objectively define beauty. And, you know, there have been studies that have tried to define beauty as symmetry in terms of facial features and all of this sorts of thing. Yeah, so yeah. I don't I don't even want to go that far that we're trying to define objectively the beauty of words. Let's, for the purposes of our conversation, leave it at the subjective level, and you and I try to examine what makes a word beautiful. That's fair. But I and then was... hopefully, hopefully we will be able to come up with some guidelines, at least for us, that tells us, okay, this is what makes the word beautiful, and we should be able to assume that this expands beyond you and I, and people listening might agree with us. Well, that's that's okay. I like this idea, and I do, I do think there's something in in the fact that when you look at something beautiful and try and uh, try and contain a, you know a, a definition, a hard definition, it's just impossible. But the fact that there is something beautiful and there is something ugly and they're generally agreed if you go to the two extremes that we're we're going to agree that's ugly and that's beautiful that just suggests that there is something objective about it or else it would just be a crapshoot and you wouldn't know well so i think it's it's complex i think it's more difficult than that because you can't really claim it's objective unless so we would if we could pick some person in an african tribe and bring them here and tell somehow formulate a test where they would pick between these two words. They don't know what either one is. It's just nonsense to them. Mm-hmm. And they consistently pick the words that we classify as beautiful. Then we may be able to hypothesize that we're on to something. So you're saying if but, you exist within a culture, yeah, maybe there's some objectivity established within a subjective culture. Right, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, it's hard to claim that a word is objectively beautiful because I think that there are some strings attached to that. So that's why I don't want to go quite as far as to saying objectively. But but I am interested in at least if we can classify you and I, if we can come up with a system that we can kind of agree upon some rules that that are consistent for us. It may not apply to other people or other cultures, for sure, but maybe for us we can. 
Okay, so how, would you like to give like an impulse, like you say a word aloud, and then we go one, two, three, and say a number on a scale of one to ten to see how far apart we are, just without discussing it, and then unpack the difference? Um, so I I have a bunch of words that I I thought of or found, um, and I'll just I just want to ask what because they're I'm kind of testing you in okay. a way. Okay. And I want to see just what you think. So we're gonna do a a one to five scale. Okay. So one three five. three right in the middle just means I don't know this I don't know whether this word is beautiful or ugly. You just it's hard for you to decide. Then it's a three. And five if it's beautiful. really yeah five Sorry. is beautiful. And, and and one is ugly. So the scale should make sense. If it's a little beautiful, then it's a four. If if you just don't know, three. So does that make sense? Enough yes, sense to you? Is that a good enough scale to use? Yeah, it's good enough to give us something to work with. All right. So um, let's start uh, with the word um, velvet. Velvet. Um, I think that's a beautiful word and in fact would give it a five is my knee jerk i don't want to go too extreme but um okay. it's pleasing and it's more than just kind of pleasing velvet i mean even the word has right. this onomatopoeia quality to it immaculate immaculate um i, I enjoy the word but it's funny because i sometimes the definition i have to be careful to distance myself from the definition and try to just hear the sounds immaculate i like it it's even though it's sharp so it's not as soft i still like it so but i'm gonna give it a four um pumpernickel (laughs) these are fun words oh i don't know if i'm screwing with it again pumpernickel Uh, it's a fun word but it's not a beautiful word uh Mm. so i have to be willing to say that even though I enjoy it as a funky word, even the word funky and pumpernickel, these are actually kind of <laughs> ugly words. So, But I don't think it's extraordinarily ugly, so I'm going <laughs> to give it a two. Okay. Um, tuberculosis. Um, again, I guess I'm associating it with disease and illness, but uh, that's in the one category. It's not a tuber. Let me actually think about it for a second. Tuberculosis, 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 tuberculosis. This the burk, the tuberculosis. I just, I think it has this sort of burpy. Like, so I still, I'm gonna stick with one. Um, gonorrhea. <laughs> uh, another word that negative associations, but if I, the, I really think objectively. Well, it has a soft ending, the aria, aria, which you know has connotations of diarrhea and things. But I have to distance myself from associations and definitions. Gonorrhea. Uh, I'm gonna give it an extra. Uh, I would I would say one, but I'm gonna give it a two for the softness of the aria. Um, <clears throat> daffodil. 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 I'm afraid I might be associating too much, but I'm trying to give you knee, my knee jerks, and that's a four in terms of daffodil. It's fun. It's beautiful. Uh, I would, it's not extraordinary, but it is beautiful. Yeah. Vomit. <laughs> ah, a one. Uh, gross. Uh, but the, the, the V, it's funny because velvet, vomit. I mean, even have some similarities. <laughs> Two syllables, they end yeah. in T's. Look, it's vomit, velvet, 
So I, I feel hypocritical, and it makes me think I'm not doing this the way I should, but vomit versus, I mean, I guess you don't, velvet. Velvet. Vomit. Gosh. I'm still going to stick with one and see if I'm just way off here. Because I'm going to give you my knee jerks. Reactions. Huggable. Three. It's just, it doesn't do anything. Like As far as if you distance yourself from it, it's just not ugly. It's not beautiful. Huggable. Um, Huggable. And uh, incalculable. Incalculable. Yulable, yulable. That's kind of it's fun. Again, is fun is fun, beautiful, um, incalculable. I'll go with four. There is something fun and and joyful even. So it gets into the beauty territory. Rayagana. Rayagana. Um, I don't know if I'm embarrassing myself, but I don't know what that means. So this is good. Uh, Rayagana. Rayagana. Um, a four. Is that, wait um, a second, I feel like you're tricking me and saying gonorrhea and rayagana and you're like turning the spelling around and and seeing if I have, uh, ugh, am I, are you going to just keep going through this or are you going to tell me if I'm on to something? I'm just going to keep going through okay. this. Okay. We've got a lot of words. Yeah, I'm not going to sure. do them all, but okay. um, I do want to get kind of a spread of things. Okay. Um, milkshake. Um. That is not a pretty word to me, even in... I love milkshakes. Um, milkshake. Um, but it's not terribly ugly, so two. Um, misanthropy. Uh, I like that word, but misanthropy. Uh, I'll go with three. Melanoma. Melanoma. See, there's a pretty word to me that uh, has a bad association, so I'll go ahead and say five. There's something really pleasant about melanoma. Um, Thropensom. 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 Um, two. Balaga. One. Husband-like. 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 Two. I don't think it's pretty. Glob. (laughs) One. (laughs) Flatulent. One. Seersucker. 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 Four. Um, Megalomania. Ooh. Now there's, again, I have to differentiate between fun and beautiful. Megalomania. Megalomania. I'm still going to give it a five. It's pretty. Nomalina. That's a five. Nomalina. Triximit. 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 Two. Cacophony. Ooh, see, this kind of combines harsh and soft. Cacophony. I like it. Cacophony. Cacophony. I'm giving it a five. Bullococklin. 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 Um, three, because I don't know what to do with that. Symmetric. 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 Um, a three, sorry. Well, I shouldn't apologize, but I just... Yeah, no need to apologize. 
Uh, we'll do three or four more, and and then I've got some special ones that I'm just curious about, okay. and then we'll then we'll talk about them okay. a little bit. Um, soliloquy. Five soliloquy, beautiful. Cerulean. Uh, five cerulean. Gratitude. Gratitude. Uh, that's actually not a pretty word, even though it's a pleasant definition. Gratitude. Uh, two. Book bag. Book bag. Um, one. Ugly. The bag. Bag. Ilium. Ilium. Four. Melodious. 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 That's a, that's pretty. Um, five. Rapscallion. 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 One. Um, landlocked. Landlocked. Two. Um, eloquently. Eloquently. Uh, the Lee at the end kind of adds a pleasantness to me. I'm going to say five. All right. Um, and aesthetician. Aesthetician. It's a cool word, not particularly pretty. Aesthetician. Um, three. Okay. All right. That's uh, that's a pretty good block. Um, I've got something I'm just curious about, real quick. Um, Jillian. 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 Four. Calvin. 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 Uh, um, four. Olga. One. Garfunkel. One. Um, uh, let's see. Slither. Ooh, see, that evokes something. Slither. I mean, I'm going to say one. Well, hold on a second. Slither. 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 I don't like it. One. <laughs> Um, uh, hula hoop, hula hoop, four. It's fun, but again, Melissa, 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 Melissa. Five. It's really pleasant, Melissa. Mm, Okay, that's a pretty. That's a pretty, pretty good overall list. I think. Uh, we'll do one more. Belch. One. Yeah. All right, so uh, man, we we covered a lot of those. I'm glad we have a lot of data. Yeah. So did you answer um, these too? Uh, I I I sorted them generally into beautiful sounding and ugly sounding. Um, I didn't give them one to five ratings, but I can tell you my what what I thought and about them. And whether we generally agreed or not. Right. So uh, I appreciate that you did at least partway through start to wrestle with. The meaning, trying to disambiguate the meanings of the words from the sound of the words. So this is something for the people who aren't familiar with phonesthetics, and we didn't go into too much detail about it, that they might struggle with as well. So I think when we're talking about objectively trying to describe the beauty of a word, you have to really do some mental work to separate yourself from the definition of the word, because there are some words that just they form a mental picture in your head, unless you have aphantasia, which I guess we've talked about before. Um, mm. But something like daffodil, like, oh, it's a pretty flower. You know, that's 
you, you want to give that a high rating because it's a nice word. Yeah. Huggable. You know, it's something nice. So you want to give it a higher rating. Gratitude. Immaculate. Like these things you want to give higher ratings. And then things like flatulent and cacophony. Uh, Belch. You know, and, and tuberculosis. Like they have bad connotations. So you want to give them bad ratings. But tuberculosis to me anyway that was one of the ones i put in pretty clearly in the beautiful sounding column tuberculosis yeah. it sound it flows off of your tongue chlamydia uh, chlamydia that's one too gonorrhea like these a lot of actually a lot of medical terms are have really pleasant sounds to me anyway by my subjective estimation they have really nice sounds that's why i chose gonorrhea and i did you were right i did trick you because gonorrhea and rayagana have the same the same sounds sure i gave them fl- different ratings yeah you gave gon- gonorrhea a two and rayagana a four and i think if i have to be honest i would put gonorrhea at four um right yeah. right yeah i put it in the beautiful sounding column i think gonorrhea in terms of just the word if you didn't know what it meant like it's a pretty like i think a four is a good rating it's not it's not as beautiful as daffodil i don't think or melodious which i think melodious is one of the most beautiful words that i could come up with and cerulean those are like and and you gave those fives yeah um i actually think chlamydia uh, might be a five I like chlamydia. Yeah, I, chlamydia. Chlamydia is really nice. I love chlamydia. Um, <laughs> Spread the uh, but word. Another, so I'll, uh, I'll outline where we where we disagreed, uh, at least, and we can talk about it because uh, my ratings might not be perfect. But um, so the worst one was t- tuberculosis and rapscallion. You gave ones, and I put those in the beautiful column. Like, I think tuberculosis is probably a four, maybe a five. Rapscallion. Probably a four. Um, I think what I was tending to do... It's a pu- I, I don't mean to analyze my tendency, but the pattern I was falling into is softer sounds are beautiful and harsher ones mm-hmm. were uglier. And so when I was yeah, like, yeah, tuberculosis, yeah. it was just a lot. Tub- bur- I heard you were saying the burk. Burk tub- reminds me burk, of yeah. burp and they, or whatever. Yeah, it's what I, tuberculosis. Even though... And, and then as you heard me struggle, I, there was... I, I see joy in the word, like it's fun, tuberculosis, it's fun to say, um, it's got some mm-hmm. ups and downs to it, and I like, the if we talked about joy, the word, the joyfulness of it, but I just don't, I, right. I still maintain, um, gosh, I could be, con- well, I, I just don't think it's a beautiful word, but I think it's a fun word, and I ha- that, that, that's important to distinguish, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that, that there's a difference between beautiful and fun. And I kind of struggle with this too because I put seersucker, immaculate, incalculable. I put those in the ugly sounding column, meaning I would rate those lower than a three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you gave those fours, but I can acknowledge that seersucker is a fun word to say. Seersucker. But I don't think it's beautiful. Seersucker. I don't think seersucker is a beautiful word. You know, I, and I don't know if I'm being I don't know if I'm being biased by sucker. You know, like that. It's just a that 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 part of the word is just sucker, a negative, right. right? Sucker. I actually I don't know if I'm being I actually biased. Think we're we're falling into the same thing with tuberculosis. <clears throat> it's a fun versus beautiful thing, and I could be convinced that I chose seersucker is really fun, and I got fooled for a moment that it was beautiful. When I'm willing to say, 
I don't know what to do with the word because I can't extract mm-hmm. the fun so I'm having with I, it. I came up with a, cu- a few words that I thought, like, I think I caught myself. I was about to place them in a column, and then I was like, wait a second. I'm not sure what to do with this. So the word mishmash. Mishmash. That's a, that's fun. What did I give it? That's a f- you did nothing. We didn't test oh, it. Oh. It's a, it, but it's a word that I think is fun, not beautiful. Yes. Yes. That's a I, it's point. hard for me to classify as beautiful or ugly. It's just fun to say. Mishmash. Mishmash. Haberdasher. Mm, another fun one. Like tabernacle. Ta- tabernacle is on my list yeah. too. Taxidermy. Taxidermy. Yeah, these are Taxidermy. fun words. And it's, it's not beautiful though. No, it's not. No, it isn't. It really isn't fun. Like, so... Yes, I'm prepared to say that that's some of those words I was mistakenly like. What were they again that I said was beautiful? You said uh, we're not seersucker, immaculate, and incalculable. <sighs> See, the, the incalculable so I, has a little wiggle room for me. Well, the reason the reason why I classified some of these in the ugliest. So I guess I'll just real quick I'll read through the ones I classified as ugly: symmetric, huggable, gratitude, milkshake. We agreed on you rated those threes and twos. Mm-hmm. Um, seersucker, immaculate, incalculable, husbandlike, uh, pumpernickel, tricksimmet, which is a syllable flopping of symmetric, balaga, which is a syllable flopping of um, huggable, huh. bolacoclin, which is a, a syllable flip of incalculable. You gave those two, one, and three. Um, and then vomit, flatulent, cacophony, landlocked, and glob. You gave cacophony a five. I, I thought it was an ugly sounding word. Cacophony. I still see some beauty in that. There's something fun about starting harsh and ending soft. And I'd be curious to see if that played out with other words. Cacophony. Cacophony. It sounds too. It's too choppy. Cacophony. I don't know. That's why I rated it. So, part of if we were going to try to tease out some reasons why we rate the words. I guess I should read the beautiful ones to you. Yeah. So we agreed more on these. We only disagreed on Thropensolm, which you rated a two, which is a syllable flopping of um, misan- misanthrope. By the way, to just say rearrange the syllables and give it different I know it's not, not, it doesn't work. Yeah. I acknowledge it's not perfect okay. uh, because what starts the word and what ends the word matters. Right. So you can't just swap the syllables around. But I couldn't think of a better way to try to trick you or try to try to tease apart the definition versus the sound and i think this was a decent enough way to make us think about it yeah yeah so i hope i hope that that's it's a reasonable thing to at least throw out there yeah right um you did rate melanoma a five and nomalina a five and those are syllable swaps although like again to be fair melanoma and nomalina there's no lee in melanoma so some of this is pronunciation problems on my part. Yeah. It would have been Nomalena, I guess. Nomalena rather than Nomalina, yeah. which is a little bit more beautiful. I think Nomalena is more than Nomalena. 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 Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it falls into a, it, the discrepancy isn't huge. So. Right. Um, so, uh, so let's try to pick out some things that we think defines at least by you aren't it seems like we agree somewhat not perfectly but i think we can at least communicate about the topic yeah i think i think our estimations overlap i have some that are well i don't have enough um that aren't rated uh 
but like you could if you have some words pop in your head then we can we can try to see if we align on those but let's try to pick out some parts or or common things that we think defines beautiful sounding words okay i mean i think so go ahead the, the 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 first thing that came to my mind was the letter l there seems to be like soliloquy daffodil velvet eloquently melodious cerulean it seems to be a really common sound in the beautiful words yes they seem softer in general and the the letter l the softness meaning um the vowels seem to be emphasized can we take could you are the vowels emphasized more in the more beautiful words to us where you know the the beats that you land on melodious you know i do think there's something about the the rith- the rhythm of the word and my terminology for yeah we're for poor pronunciation with that. isn't we don't know. isn't very good so but but there is something about the enunciation melodious where it comes in the word i think is important. The melodious Soliloquy. versus Soliloquy. Daff- daffodil is the first syllable. Emphasis. Da- daffodil. Daffodil. Velvet. Daffodil. That's the first. Velvet. Uh, but these still, even though it's velvet, it's the E that gets the treatment and the V kind of slides off. Um, when when you get into the K or the, the, the T's and the C's and the harsher letters and guttural, the gutter stop or whatever that term is in the back of your throat yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right that's another thing is where what mouth motions do you have to make to actually say the word so to me there's some awkward tongue and lip positions that some words make you do like that's that was my beef with incalculable is that you have to do this weird with your tongue to say incalculable which is weird you have to make this kind of thing (laughs) in your throat to say incalculable so you're saying saying the word plays into the beauty of the word like the yeah yes i'm saying the mouth motions how awkward you have to position your lips and tongue to say the word affects how how beautiful we consider the word okay this is interesting because the word yeah. label popped in my head and would you where, where does label fall label you? yeah label mm-hmm. label uh i would put it pretty neutral three maybe maybe a little bit on the beautiful side three and a half i was i, I mean, was like, leaning toward a four by the way label 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 it's not harsh it's not harsh enough or awkward enough um and it's got the L's in there. You weren't leaning so, toward yeah. a two, though. If you were to no, lean. no, I was, I was leaning a little bit positive on on label. And so I was just thinking how different label is than calculable. Even though you're actually saying l- label in a way, you're emphasizing the A again versus the label. Well, if you told me the word lubble, then I would rate that a two. Yes, and so again, it's but, so the vowel is different. Late. Label versus lubble. So, and the emphasis, the lubble is like you're kind of, you're, you're jumping the vowel, so to speak. Lubble. And, and, and you're getting to, yeah, you're, right. you're jumping the vowels. And whereas the emphasis of the beauty of the vowels is, is revealing something, I think. So maybe the hard A, the A, A sound is more beautiful than the uh sound. Uh, yes, maybe? I would say. But, a- but then, well, I don't know that we can say that because melodious, cerulean, they have a uh in it. That's a schwa, well, right? I believe so. Remember that? I think that's uh. right. But the so, so S's, R's, and L's too seem to be pleasant as far right. as consonants go. Uh, they're softer, 
still. So vowels yeah. are just soft sounds, essentially. And then softer consonants are R's and L's and S's. What about slither? Those are those have soft. Those are soft. The okay, so slither. Perhaps there's slit. It's the there that I, that the, that I find ugly. It takes a hard turn. Really, slit. I'm with you. But if I were to say slit, I would also. What about heather? Heather. I mean, that's pretty soft, and I I think it's beautiful as well. I'm not. I'm trying not. So to just... heather and slither. Only the first part of the word is heather, different. Heather. So is it the slaw that throws you off but, for well, the Well, that seems slither? like I'm, you know, not being consistent there. Uh, but I will say that Heather seems prettier than Slither. And I'm afraid, gosh, I can't, I can't know if I'm not extracting myself from the word Slither and Snake and its connotations. And it has uh-huh. that, that onomatopoeia that we're conditioned, like Slither, Slither, Slither. It has, like, you can imagine the slithering. And so I don't know if it's so ingrained. What about... Slelvet. <laughs> Slelvet. Slelodious. 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 That's beautiful. Yeah, Slelodious. Gosh. It's the E-L-E-L gets a little little That's true. It's not as beautiful as Melodious. Slelodious. In fact, I'm not sure that it's beautiful. Slelodious. Slelodious. So I think maybe hard sounds get a get a little bit of a pass if they're at the front of a word yes ma, ma and k, like let's make maybe. let's make harsh let's make strong rules quickly and then say if that so like guttural gutter stop if that's the right terminology in the middle of the word get some negative points at the beginning gunk monger <laughs> yeah gunk monger that's a that's a Pretty ugly word. Very ugly, I Because it's got unk. Unk unk is one of the uglier things because it's both, I mean, it it makes you nasally and it's. I agree. Like, I don't. And here was actually a question. Here's a question that I was going to ask. So, do you think that when we actually create new words, obviously all of our words have been created at some point in time, the sound, do you think that the sound of the words affected like do you think for ugly ideas we chose ugly words and for beautiful ideas we chose beautiful words is there any kind of sorting going on there maybe even on a subconscious level um yes i i mean i think mostly on a subconscious level i uh think that's very plausible so bad things that are yeah unpleasant get an unpleasant sound in the name and it just goes yeah that fits you know that fits and what do we mean yeah, when we fits. say that fits? i think that that's what I, that's phonesthetics i think it fits and that's phonesthetics and i think people that's why i think that there is something i don't know that we can say objective but maybe culturally or or within a language objective limitedly objective limitedly impossible objective. but like there's something there. People just notice, oh, that fits. And so when you when you see some some someone on TV named Urkel, you expect him to be dorky and have some negative traits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But 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 that's why you name your kid Melissa or Jillian. Yeah. I'm, I'm... But not Olga. Right. Or Garfunkel. Right. <laughs> Olga or Garfunkel. And then like in a different culture, where like gutter stops or you know take like. 
Ger- Germanic languages. Yeah, the, I mean, the German language, yeah, has a lot of different sounds. So Olga is not going to register as being, a, you know, Ergel grew. Ergel grew. Which sounds really bad to yeah. us. Uh, would not fall upon the ears in the same way. Ha! Fascinating. Really interesting. Uh, that's I don't know. That's what when I was doing this and thinking of words, it just made me think like, when we when we create new words, do we do we choose beautiful words for beautiful ideas? And I think maybe we do. So what we're s- like you're not gonna you're not gonna name your car the Gunk Monster. <laughs> so you're actually t- let's take this one step further. Then when you say beautiful ideas, you're actually. To simplify, good ideas get good words, bad ideas get bad words. Even though beauty, I know it's a little bit different, but in some ways we're suggesting uh, the morality of language. Yeah, right, with the sound of the word. There's some entanglement. It's not perfect because we get our words from other languages, and a lot of them come from Latin, and we're stuck with a lot of roots. So if you want to make a new word for a person who... Uh, thinks they're a cow, then you have you're kind of tied into a box because you need bovine, their their human form, their anthropogenic form, and then to describe the illness, you add the Y on boanthropy. Like you can dissect the word, yes. and you're kind of stuck with it. Right. But you could you could try to make a more beautiful word like bovinity. Bovinity. <laughs> bovinity infinity. Bo- uh, Bovelius. <laughs> No, this is fascinating to think about like how moral coding is is interwoven into the very fabric of our language and in 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 an almost well, uh, sim- I mean it's almost simplistic but good good words get good yeah. sounds, you know. Well, I mean think about it. Think about all the curse words, you know, or most of the curse words. They're they're short, one-syllable, choppy Four-letter words, right? That's what they call them, four-letter words for a reason. So many of them are four letters. I mean, there are a few multiple-syllable curse words or curse phrases, but the words themselves tend to be short and choppy and guttural. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, so I think think there's something there. We do, we assign, like, even, even when we're coming up with new insults for people, like mong, have you ever, have you seen that, like to call someone a mong? Uh, what does that mean? I don't know, just, it's just a general insult, like, hey, you're a stupid person, you're a mong. Yeah, I didn't know if it had some origins that were based on race or anything like yeah, that, or a, no? Mongol, or maybe yeah. a Mongol or Mongolian, I don't know where it really comes from, maybe it is a, a racial insult, um, sorry, but... <laughs> I don't know, uh, but I, th- I thought that... Either way, it's it. a short, ugly word, right. mong, right. and to call someone a mong, or a knob, like, the short word, like, even if they're not as dirty of an insult, but to call someone a knob, or a dork, or a nerd. Yeah, it's like, like there's still these short little kids, words. Right, kids use these words in the playground kind of thing to goof. insult each other. And you might not Poop. know. Um, imagine you're a kid. You don't know what a goof is, but a kid looks at you Bugger. and it's like, goof. You don't need to be you're told goof. that it's ba- a bad thing. You know it's a bad thing. I mean, largely right. that's not Whereas if someone cues, says, but... you're a rapscallion, then you might go, huh, <laughs> and walk off kind of like, whoa, huh. Well, <laughs> to straighten your tie. <laughs> to be fair, though... Um, they're picking up on nonverbal cues in the way it said, probably more than the yeah, sure. That you're right. The word, you're right. But, um, 
but but if someone were to text it, I'd still think there could be a little bit of confusion. Like you read the word and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel right. There's some gut instinct saying ah, this word, goof, what is this, what is this? Imagining, you know, a two- or three-year-old texting somehow. But, um, yeah, we're, we're on to – I don't know what to do with that information, but we're on to something there. Right. Well, the one cool thing uh, – or another cool thing – I think I mentioned right off the bat about phone aesthetics is that it's a pretty open field of study. Like to, at least from what I could find, there's not a lot of research that has been done or is currently being done in this area. So, I mean, like our hypothesis about the development of language and it's how closely our newly created words are tied with our morality, or at least our conception of beauty that could make a good paper. You know, like that's actually really interesting, and with some with some uh, some quizzes, could actually be a really interesting article. I would love so, to do that. And I have access to a lot of you know, people in terms of students mm-hmm. and a school. Right, right. Like I could, I could, we could legitimately pursue something like this. I'd like to do yeah. that. Well, so since we're talking about this area, I will mention what I could find in terms of you know legitimate people who study this kind of thing. There are linguists out there. Um, the most of the stuff I found came from a guy named David Crystal. He's a, a British linguist, and he he had a paper that came out in the '90s that I read to just kind of try to get an idea. Mm-hmm. And he 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 kind of I kind of agreed with a lot of his stipulations. A lot of the words he chose as beautiful. What he did was he picked some some poetry. He he at least he asked or found some some writers who tried to classify the most beautiful words that they could think of. And some of the writer's classifications I disagreed with, and it sounded to me like they were roping in the definitions too much. But but anyway, he, he analyzed all of these words. I think he did some kind of wider scale um, uh, survey, and he, he came up with these things that define, or at least suggest a word maybe more beautiful. So higher syllable count is better. Obviously, that can go too far, but generally, three and four syllable words are better than one syllable words. Okay, I'm um, generally on stress. I'm bored with that. What's that? I said I'm generally on board with that. Yeah, me too. I think so. Uh, the stress on the first syllable tends to make a word more beautiful. Okay. Um, the letter M and the letter L. Um, high frequency consonants which doesn't make any sense to you, but he essentially took all the lists of words that were named beautiful and he did a statistical analysis and he pulled out you know, which consonant sounds appeared most often. And there are some that tend to rise to the top and some that tend to, to sink to the bottom. M and L are obviously in that list. Yeah. Um, and then a, a high number of articulations. I don't really know what that means. I think it might mean it's part of your mouth movement. Um, so the the way you maybe maybe the points at which the sound stops in the words would be my guess. Articulation even sounds like a word that's articulated, right? And maybe it's a pleasant form of that too. It's easier to right. do. Some words are easier to articulate than others, and they're pleasant right. when you say them. So, and then short vowels, and then the location in your mouth. He actually does say mouth articulation location. Hmm. So I think that kind of what we came up with. Is kind of is pretty similar to him. Like his 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 classification reasons seem to make sense to me. 
Short um, but vowels, because I, I, I was just thinking about ia, like the ea and gonorrhea, chlamydia, ia. I don't; those aren't mm-hmm. short vowels. In fact, it's and I find that really pleasant. So, yeah, I mean, it's not you know none of these are all of these can be broken, and certain words that we classified as ugly, and he would probably also classify as ugly. You know, can, can have these things. It's just just in general, in his sample size, these things rose to the top. Okay. But like this is all I could find really um, about phonesthetics, and I'm sure there's more that I could that I couldn't find. But I really, like, usually you come up with a list of results and you pick a few papers. But you know, this was this was it. I found some more articles referencing this guy. I found a video of him reading a poem with a lot of beautiful words in it. But I didn't find a lot of discussion of what makes a word beautiful, and I like the idea a lot. You know what? I'm on board. We're gonna do this. We're gonna find out how to publish a paper as, and then we can. Then I can add linguist linguist to my resume. Um, right. Perfect. Sure. I am Daniel the linguist. <laughs> Daniel the linguist. And I wanted to the say linguist, my last name, but I didn't. Teacher. Uh, Daniel the linguist English teacher. Um. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's phone aesthetics. Cool topic. Yeah. Um. It, and that's all the questions I had that I think that I wanted to talk about yeah, too. I don't want to so, talk to you anymore, honestly. Yeah, it's, I don't want to talk a, to you either. Enough time, uh, I had so. one other thing that I wanted. Uh, one thing related to words, I'll have to save it because I didn't. I, did, I forgot to look up the information on it. So a uh, little tantalizing tidbit. Tantalizing for next tidbit. Time. Yes. I've got a, a word analysis that I want to do. That's really f- kind of funny and interesting. So teaser. A tantalizing teaser tidbit. Whoa, uh, tantalizing teaser tidbit. That's fun. Um, I wanted to do the little trivia bit about the most beautiful phrase, widely considered oh, right, the right. most beautiful yeah, phrase um, in the English language. And um, I guess that's enough of it. I don't agree with it. Okay. Uh, are you ready, though? Uh, the most. This yeah. is widely considered. You can literally Google it. has its own Wikipedia page, and it's like touted as the yeah. most beautiful phrase in the English language. Here we go. Cellar door. Cellar door. Cellar door. Like the door of a cellar. Cellar door. Yeah, so I there is actually a snippet on Wikipedia about this that I read. Apparently it was in some song back in like 1894, and that's where they think it originated. It was in a song, and people liked the sound of it, and then people continued to comment on it. It was just really and beautiful. It kind of got, cellar door. It entered into this sort of, yeah, people got fixated and declared it the most beautiful phrase and so that means i do think it's a beautiful i do think it's beautiful and like if i had to rate it on our one to five scale cellar door cellar door i'd probably give it a four i think it's more beautiful <laughs> with an with an english accent cellar door cellar cellar if it said like cellar door without the hard r in the middle cellar door i think cellar door cellar door so here's a here's a beautiful sentence for you I conceived chlamydia behind the cellar door. <laughs> conceived? I mean, there's some beauty. And then chlamydia, pretty. And cellar door is the so, most beautiful thing. If we start a band, we should call it Velvet Chlamydia. <laughs> yes, that, that's it. That is the name of this episode. Velvet Melodious chlamydia. gonorrhea. <laughs> Velvet Chlamydia is really good. That will be the title of this episode. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yep. nice talking to you. All right. Do, do, Talk do, to do, you next do, do, time. Do, do. Bye. Bye.